At KPMG, we make the difference. It's not just something we say. It's what we do. Our professionals believe in the value of collaboration and the power of technology. We work closely with clients to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity, develop bold solutions that innovate industries, and create better outcomes driven by data. Brighter insights, bolder solutions, better outcomes. It's how our people make the difference, driving growth and value for our clients. KPMG, make the difference. Tonight on The Readout. We just learned about another shooting in Tennessee, a school shooting. And I am truly without words. And our children deserve better. First Lady and teacher Dr. Jill Biden responding to the latest horrific act of mass violence as politicians in states like Tennessee worry more about drag shows and banning books than about actually protecting our children. Also tonight, public protests in Israel and elsewhere against a rising wave of authoritarianism. While here in the U.S., there is a shocking lack of urgency in repudiating the conspiratorial and violent rhetoric from our homegrown autocrat-in-waiting, Donald Trump. Meanwhile, Trump continues to lash out at the Manhattan DA as the Manhattan grand jury hears from a key player in Trump's hush money scheme. But we begin tonight with a tragedy that is unique to America. Another school massacre, this time in Nashville, Tennessee, where a 28-year-old woman shot and killed three students and three staff members at a private Christian school. The shooter was armed with two assault-style rifles and a handgun. The Nashville Police Department said the shooter was a former student at the school who identifies as trans. The children who were fatally shot are Evelyn Dykehouse, Hallie Scruggs, and William Kinney, all elementary school age. The adults are Cynthia Peake, Mike Hill, and Catherine Kuntz, all in their 60s. Kuntz, shown here, was the school's headmaster. President Biden, who called on Congress to act on guns after Sandy Hook, Buffalo, and Uvalde, had this to say once again after Nashville. It's sick. It's heartbreaking. Uh, a family's worst nightmare. We have to do more to stop gun violence. So I call on Congress again to pass my assault weapons ban. The U.S. has surpassed 100 mass shootings in 2023, and we're only in March. These are shootings that can happen anywhere, a school, a hospital, a church, a cemetery. And it's not just the typical young white men with unfettered access to high-powered weapons who are doing the shooting anymore. The shooters lately now have included the elderly, people of color, and as we saw today, a trans woman. The only thing that is consistent is that it is the guns that kill our children, that terrorize them, that force them to do shooter drills in their elementary school classrooms. It is why our babies are patted down and enter through metal detectors. It's why arming teachers is an actual debate in America. Cue the thoughts and prayers tweets. And how the killing must end by Republicans who do nothing about gun reform. Instead, they honor a perverse interpretation of the Second Amendment over human lives. And in the meantime, they create a fake moral panic over drag shows. But it is not the guns that pose a danger to our kids. Well, they, I mean, they say it is not the guns that pose a danger to our kids. They say it's the books. It's the wokeness, which is why in Tennessee, where today's rampage occurred, 
A school district once removed 327 books from library shelves that featured LGBTQ characters and themes. A school board there also voted unanimously to remove the Pulitzer Prize-winning graphic novel Mouse, which details the horrors of the Holocaust. The Tennessee chapter of Moms for Liberty, a book-banning dark money group, also opposed Ruby Bridges Goes to School, an autobiography of the first black child to integrate a New Orleans school at six years old in 1960. It is a children's book, by the way. And it's not just Tennessee, of course. It is Florida, the land of Don't Say Gay, where the Disney movie Ruby Bridges, once a staple for Pinellas County Black History Month lessons, has now been removed because one parent complained that the film would result in students learning that white people once hated black people during a time when literally some of them did. Other states are taking Ron DeSantis's lead. In Wisconsin, the song Rainbow Land, a duet by Miley Cyrus and Dolly Parton, has been banned from a first grade concert. The reason is not clear. Could it be Miley or maybe the existence of the word rainbow? We don't know. But the terrifying thing is it could be anything these days. How we think, read, talk, learn, sing. It's almost like conservatives are more concerned about what kids read than what kills kids. This moral panic is being framed by the right as their attempt to protect children, which kind of falls apart when they do nothing about the thing that turns a child into a corpse. Books don't kill children. Drag shows don't kill children. Guns do. And if that doesn't piss you off, Brett Cross whose son was killed by an AR-15 in Uvalde, would like to have a word. Have y'all had enough yet? In Nashville, three kids so far have been pronounced dead. Three adults have been pronounced dead from a school shooting. When is enough enough? If this doesn't make you sick to your stomach, then you're a piece of Joining me now is Shannon Watts, founder of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America, and Michelle Goldberg, columnist for The New York Times. Uh, thank you both for being here. And Shannon, I will start with you. There, there, you know, it is starting to become um, almost randomized, uh, random, I mean, it's, or sort of routine, I should say, that we have now at least, what, one to two mass shootings a week in this country, or over 100. Um, a lot of things about these shootings are the same. Um, they tend to have been young white men between 18 and 30. There haven't been very many women. Um, there clearly obviously haven't been very many trans women. This is also rare, but we have started to see it broaden out. We've had Asian-American, older people, African-Americans, you know, it, it's becoming, it, it's so scattered that it can happen anywhere, anytime. But once again, it's happened in a school. Your thoughts? Well, look, this is sadly the logical outcome of 400 million guns in this country and very few gun laws, right? If, if gun laws, if, if guns made us safer, we'd be the safest country in the world. Instead, we have a 26 times higher gun homicide rate than any peer nation. And if we look at the state of Tennessee where this happened, this is a state that has had every single chance to strengthen their gun laws, and they've done the opposite. In fact, in 2021, Governor Lee signed permitless carry, a law that allows people to carry hidden loaded handguns in public without a background check or training. He signed it into law and celebrated it at a gun manufacturing plant, right? This is a state where they have incredibly weak gun laws and gun homicides have spiked 110% in the last decade there. At what point do more guns make us more safe? The answer is never. 
And that is why we need lawmakers to pass stronger gun laws. The data shows they work. And so when we elect lawmakers to make laws, we don't elect them to give us their thoughts or their prayers. We elect them to act. And that is what we should expect as constituents. And to stay with you just for a second, Shannon, I mean, the the the, the congressman that represents this district, um, his name is Andy Ogles. Um, he's a Republican. He represents this district where Covenant School is located. I just want to show a picture. You tweeted out a picture of, um, I guess this was his Christmas uh, card. There it is. There he is standing in front of the Christmas tree with his wife and, and children. One of them has a book, which apparently also are things that Republicans think are dangerous. Uh, but the rest of them have guns. And this has become like a common thing among Republicans is posing with guns, sort of fetishizing guns, wearing AR-15 pins in Congress and really making their love and adoration for guns kind of their primary uh, political, you know, sort of this is their symbol. Their symbol is the gun. Uh, it's very warlordish. Um, what do you make of his statement today uh, stating his devastation that he and his family feel at the Covenant School shooting and, of course, sending his thoughts and prayers? It's a sickness. You know, there there are three issues here in this country. Our lax gun laws, electing people who support the gun lobby and gun extremism, and then this culture, right? A culture of guns for anyone, anywhere, anytime, no questions asked. Celebrating this, these guns as though they are toys. I mean, that's what that photo looks like. And it, it is really incumbent on us to elect people who have a conscience, who would not celebrate drunk driving or the use of op- opioids, other things that kill people. Somehow guns have become acceptable. And that is in part because we have something else that no other peer nation has, and that is a gun lobby. And we have allowed gun lobbyists to the table to help write gun laws. And of course, they don't do that to protect public safety. They want to write policy that protects their profits. They make billions and billions of dollars selling these guns, in particular semi-automatic rifles. And it is no surprise that the shooter today had two AR style, uh, two AR-15 style rifles uh, and a handgun and an AR style uh, handgun as well. So, you know, these weapons of war that we've allowed on our streets are now being used to kill our kids. And Michelle, you know, this is coming at a time when the First and Second Amendments are in a real tension, right? Not real tension among the public. I mean, like, it's like an 80-20 issue. Even gun owners overwhelmingly want stronger gun laws. It's just, you know, as Shannon said, the gun lobby and the politicians they own that that are refusing to let it happen. But you have this in the state of Tennessee, which, you know, ironically, is the Scopes monkey trial state, right, where they used to have a law against teaching evolution in public high schools, in public schools. They now are racing to an enact these First Amendment limiting laws to limit things like drag shows. You have rampant book banning. I think Tennessee might be the most aggressive book banning state, even more so than Florida. And so they're essentially saying it's too dangerous to allow children to be exposed to a drag show. A drag queen is is dangerous to children. These books are dangerous to children. But when it comes to guns, they're like, no, put more guns where children are. It is it is an irony that's hard to get away from during this time of moral panic over books, history and drag shows. And I fear that the identity of the murderer here is only going to reinforce that. I mean, this is you know, we have a lot of mass shootings in this country. It's still shocking when it's elementary school children. It's, you know, I have, and these are three nine-year-olds. I have an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old. I can barely think about it. But, you know, I think that from 
Whenever we have one of these shootings, in general, the gun lobby and the people aligned with it, the Republican Party, want to talk about anything but guns. You know, sometimes they want to talk about mental health. Sometimes they want to talk about doors and why doors were unlocked. They want to talk about, um, you know, and, and, you know, illegal immigration. If it's not, if it's a Muslim, they want to talk about um, radical Islam. And the fact that it's a trans person, I think, is only going to reinforce this moral panic. Is going to make it seem as you know they're going to feel that they are um, under threat, under siege from this group of people that has been, you know, I think trans people in this country are already they are being demonized and terrorized. And just as you see when, you know, during when there's, for example, a Muslim killer, it redounds on you know, ordinary Muslim civilians. I think that we're going to see something similar here. And the thing is, is that the, the moral panic over trans people has bled over into this mania about drag shows, which was was never a thing. All of a sudden, this is the most dangerous thing in America. And Tennessee's a state that is marquee for this, Michelle. And the thing that is, is interesting about that is that there's no moral consistency to their argument, right? Drag shows don't feature a drag queen wear, wielding a gun. So nobody's going to get killed at a drag show. Right. So if you think that that and if you were to present them with, well, if you think that the trans community is so dangerous, should they be denied guns? How would they square that? Because they think everybody should have guns. The majority of mass shooters tend to be statistically young white males between 18 and in their 30s. They don't want to stop them from having guns. Are you going to say because of one instance in which this person is trans, should trans people be not allowed to have guns? Because they think everybody should have guns. So they don't really even have a morally consistent argument that would stop mass shootings and make their moral panic work. Right. I mean, if your argument is that this person is mentally ill and is too unstable to have access to hormones, then the normal corollary of that would be that they also shouldn't have access to automatic weaponry. That would be the logical answer. But Shannon, we both know that that would not be their answer. That would not be their answer. And look, they don't seem to say anything about the huge spike um, in in homicides among trans people in this country, up over 90% in the last few years. Most of that carried out with guns. There have been hundreds and hundreds of mass shootings in the last few years alone, most of them, as you said, by uh, straight white men. And so this is a, a moral panic. They want to focus on everything but the real issue, which is uh, easy access to guns in this country. Uh, I'm the parent of a trans kid. I can tell you that I'm terrified right now. And it isn't just easy access to guns, but it is these lawmakers who are essentially putting targets on these kids' backs. And, and last question to you, Michelle. I mean, you have you know two young children. I am the, a, a mother of three. My kids are you know in their 20s now. But when they were young, I can tell you, I was terrified of the idea of them being shot in school because they had to do those mass shooter drills starting in the third grade. And I had to go to the park and practice how we would find out if they were still alive in a mass shooting. That's how my kids grew up. You know, for you, have you ever feared your children um, would be somehow harmed uh, by a drag queen? Is this if you're asking me, um, you know, yeah. I, look, I live in New York City and my obviously not, of course not. And, you know, to be honest, in the past, I sometimes thought that, you know, school shootings are the kind of things that happen in, you know, suburbs. They don't happen in schools, you know, like the ones my kids go to that are full of, of immigrants and, you know, that are sort of cosmopolitan. And but I think what we're seeing in this country is that 
absolutely no one is safe, right? There is, right. you know, just as we're seeing a greater and greater variety of people who are committing these kind of crimes, I mean, they can absolutely happen anywhere. Part of the issue is yeah. that when you have as many mass shootings as we have, some of them are going to be anomalous. That's right. And they're ev- exactly. And Books are not killing kids. You know, reading is not what's killing kids. It's guns. There's no way around it. Shannon Watts, Michelle Goldberg, thank you. Up next on The Readout, the disturbing lack of urgency encountering the rise of right-wing authoritarianism here at home and around the world. The Readout continues after this. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Around the world in recent weeks and months, we've seen ordinary citizens urgently rise up in the face of bad governance and authoritarianism. In France, millions have taken to the streets protesting President Emmanuel Macron's unpopular plan to raise the retirement age, accusing Macron of ruling by decree and ramming through changes to the national pension without parliamentary approval. While in Iran, anti-regime protests raged for months following Masha Amini's death in police custody amid wider calls for women's rights and freedom. In Nigeria, thousands protested the country's election results, alleging vote tampering and voter intimidation. And in recent days, Israel was nearly paralyzed by massive protests over far-right Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's plan to weaken the country's judiciary to make it harder to remove him from power after he fired his defense minister for speaking out against his proposed changes. Today, Netanyahu, who was voted back in as prime minister, despite still being under indictment on felony, bribery, fraud and breach of trust charges, announced a delay in his judicial plans, saying he wanted to avoid civil war and make time to compromise. Meanwhile, here in the U.S., we seem to lack the same urgency as our own authoritarian in waiting, Donald Trump, effectively threatened civil war, largely for the same reason as Netanyahu, to keep himself out of jail. As Trump attempts to control our judicial system with warnings of death and destruction from his supporters, he gave a clarion call to Insurrection Version 2.0 over the weekend at a rally that looked a lot like a cult gathering in Waco, Texas, 
a right-wing shrine infamous for the 51-day standoff between federal agents and the Branch Davidian doomsday religious cult. And in a clear nod to the dark legacy of Waco, with his speech falling on the 30th anniversary of the deadly standoff, Trump leaned in to his role as a cult leader, leading the crowd in lionizing the January 6th insurrectionists, showing a video of the attack accompanied by a song recorded by men in prison for their role that day. And Trump followed that with a conspiratorial call to arms, which we're not going to give him the benefit of playing on this show. But just know that he attacked the prosecutors investigating him, saying our justice system will be defeated, telling his followers, they're not coming after me, they're coming after you. And he cast the 2024 election as a final battle, telling his supporters that once again, he is their retribution and he is their justice. Totally normal stuff. Joining me now is Charlie Sykes, editor-at-large of The Bulwark and an MSNBC contributor. And, you know, um, Charlie, it, it strikes me that the the Waco timing doesn't feel coincidental. Um, this was a religious cult that set fire to its own building to protect a leader who was raping children um, and declaring himself to be Jesus and God on earth. Uh, I, I feel like Trump leaned into that. Well, Trump leaned into it because he wants to amplify um, his anger and his uh, and then the atmosphere of menace. You know, apparently he thought it wasn't enough to simply threaten death and destruction um, or tweet out images of uh, him with a baseball bat and the, and the prosecutor um, in in uh, in Manhattan. So what he's doing, you know, though, is he is embracing some of the most violent imagery of the past in order to sort of create this 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 environment of the future. You know, and I think the juxtaposition of what's happening in, in Israel is, is is very, very interesting. We're not there yet, um, but it's an indication of what happens when you have a leader of government who face who's on trial for for corruption and then uses his power to destroy the independent judiciary. And what you are seeing is really a textbook case of how a democratic society can push back against the authoritarian playbook. And that's what Benjamin Netanyahu is doing. He's reaching for the authoritarian playbook. His law would strip the independent judiciary of its ability to to uh, review uh, parliamentary legislation. It would allow the parliament to overrule the Supreme Court. It would basically um, remove any sort of guardrails on government power, including his far-right uh, coalition. Uh, it is a real, imminent, immediate threat to the constitutional order in Israel. And civil society has risen up. So what you're seeing is a society that is basically saying, we are not going to allow Benjamin Netanyahu and his coalition to destroy all of the checks and balances in our society. I mean, the conflict of interest is obvious. The fact that he is cynically um, using his power in order to destroy this is, is, is front and center. So you have business people, you have academics, you have fighter pilots, you have military reservists, all rising up and saying, no, we're going to fight for these values. And as of today, they forced him to back away. So this is something to keep in mind that if we ever happen to have a leader in our country who is uh, under indictment or has been convicted of crimes and decides to use the full weight of his power to try to destroy the rule of law, that would be the moment for us to look back on what's happening in countries like Israel and others uh, to be able to uh, to be able to push back because it can be. Uh oh, done. Yeah, they may, it may come a moment when we're going to have to do that when because I think a lot of Americans are complacent about these issues. 
And yet, and yet we could have that moment. In Israel, there's no complacency. And, and, and I agree with you. And in, in other countries, too, you've seen, I mean, in France, this was literally just about raising the retirement age two years. And yeah. I mean, France has a history going back to 1789. They don't play around. They protest. But yeah. I mean, to go back to the Israeli um, sort of situation and the analogy with ours, I mean, Netanyahu got reelected touting the right. same kind of luxuriating in violence, in this case against Palestinians, and put together this far right coalition that is the most racist uh, right wing, uh, you know, coalition that Israel has seen, at least in my lifetime. I mean, they are far right and farther right than he even was before. And that idea of sort of luxuriating in the idea of violence against Palestinians was part of the appeal. But it is, you're right. There, there was a breaking point that the society there had that unfortunately didn't have to do with stopping that kind of violence. It had to do with the idea that he was going to seize dictatorial power. And I wonder what you think about here, because, you know, Donald Trump tried that with the judiciary here. You know, he has over 200 appointees on the federal bench, and he was mad that the Supreme Court, the three he put on the court, wouldn't give him the election. He got a Florida judge that did do his bidding and tried to protect him um, and did his bidding, and he thought all of them should do it. When he, If he were to come back in, let me read you this. This is from a guy named Dan Moynihan, who says that one of the major mistakes Trump made um, is that he wanted to disembowel government to hold on to power. And it says Trump's weapon to disembowel government is an executive order he signed shortly before the 2020 election. It's called Schedule F. It allows a president to force tens and potentially hundreds of thousands of career officials to become political appointees, stripping them of job protections. In short, it allows the president to fire civil servants who fail his political loyalty test. Trump ran out of time before he could implement Schedule F. Biden rescinded it. But if Trump wins in 2024, an aggressive purge of the civil service will be one of his first priorities. Fascist governments usually start by purging the civil service. This sounds like a promise to do it. And you know who else loves the idea of doing a Schedule F? Ron DeSantis. So even the alternative to Trump is an autocrat in waiting. Look, they're very, very serious about this. Um, Donald Trump has made it very, very clear that he would, um, you know, come into office and he would purge the ranks of government. When he says, you know, I am your justice, I am your retribution, um, he's made it very clear he will gut the Department of Justice, he will go after the FBI, he will go through the ranks of the military to eliminate anybody that would refuse uh, his his orders. And and he's not being subtle about it. I mean, he said just, yeah. it was just last week, right, that uh, the greatest threat facing America is not Russia or China, it's fellow Americans. It's people in the deep state. It's people in the State Department. He will dismantle uh, our diplomatic corps, our judicial corps, our legal legal system, our intelligence agencies. And um, this is something he's going to run on. And I think that that the Republican base will support it. So people should not think that this is a bluff. The first time around, Donald Trump did not know how to open all the doorknobs. He did not know where all the levers and the buttons are. Donald Trump 2.0 would know all of these things. It yep. is the, that moment where the velociraptors figure out how to open the doors, how to get out That's of the right. cage. And by the way, and the media, this is a problem for the media. The alternative to him that the media is blandly treating as some sort of sane alternative is somebody who punished Disney for speech, who punishes teachers for speech, has teachers terrified to teach lest they be catch a third degree felony or to hand a book to a child. This is somebody who is an autocrat with a better brain than Donald Trump, but not with better, uh, better intentions. So wake up, media. Don't try to treat these two as two different 
different people. They're the same and, guy. And so much uh, for the party of small government. Yeah. There you go. Small government is out the window. Charlie Sykes, thank you. And still ahead, we now know who testified before the Manhattan grand jury today as Trump and his allies continue to lash out at investigators. We will bring you the latest after this. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley. For the love of home. Counter to Donald Trump's claims over the weekend that the Manhattan District Attorney dropped the Stormy Daniels hush money case. The grand jury met today for the first time in a week to continue their investigation. They heard testimony for a second time from the former publisher of the National Enquirer, David Pecker, who previously appeared in January. Pecker allegedly helped broker the payment between the adult film actress and Trump's former lawyer, Michael Cohen, and is likely key to the prosecution's argument that the purpose of the payment was to suppress negative information ahead of the 2016 election. Also over the weekend, D.A. Alvin Bragg pushed back again against the three House Republican chairmen who continue to claim that Congress should be privy to his testimony and documents in the ongoing investigation. Bragg tweeted, we evaluate cases in our jurisdiction based on the facts, the law and the evidence. It is not appropriate for Congress to interfere with pending local investigations. The unprecedented inquiry by federal elected officials into an ongoing matter serves only to hinder, disrupt and undermine the legitimate work of our dedicated prosecutors. But hey, that might just be the point. Joining me now is Maya Wiley, president of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. Maya, it is great to see you. Uh, Let me ask you this question. At what point does this obstruction and interference by these federal officials become actual like legal obstruction or does it? Well, you know, it's so unprecedented, Joy. I mean, we, we have to start there. This is not something where we can point back and say, well, it's clear, it's clear in the law. Let me just say this. It's clear in the law in our constitutional order that Congress, members of Congress, have no power over the prosecutorial decisions of a local prosecutor duly elected by the people that prosecutor is representing right. and who can be hired and fired both by those people. And by the way, who is completely accountable to a rule of law that judges will govern in our jurisdiction to say whether or not that prosecutor and that office is adhering to the laws, to the rules of the road in this state. And I find it incredibly ironic that the Republican Party that has so in recent years constantly talked about states' rights 
to do something that flies directly in the face of the thing that they claim over and over again, which is that the federal government should not get involved in the rules of the road for states because it's straight up specific, specific, the rules of the road by states where the federal government has no power. So it is so outside of the realm of our structure, federal to state, constitutional, but also just flies in the face of our politics that's supposed to be, supposed to be one where we protect the rule of law no matter the party. When we're talking about the rule of law, they're using the bully pulpit of Congress to try to interfere on behalf of a political candidate for office. And that is simply not lawful or constitutional or how we've structured our government. Yeah, it's it's wild. I, okay, well, I mean, I want to come back to this. I want to talk about the threats against D.A. Bragg, but let me let's go to the substance of this uh, testimony today. So, so th- this is the headline from NBC News: that Trump was actually in the room during the hush money discussions with um, the, David Pecker. Donald Trump was the third person in the room in August of 2015 when his lawyer Michael Cohen and National Enquirer publisher David Pecker discussed ways that Pecker could help counter negative stories about Trump's relationships with women, and that is confirmed by NBC. What do you think is the significance of that to this investigation? Well, it's really interesting because remember that David Pecker and Michael Cohen were both engaged and involved in the catch and kill story with with Karen McDougal, in addition to both being engaged and related to the hush money for Stormy Daniels. So part of what's happening here is establishing that there is a scheme. There is a way in which they work. And Donald Trump has been sitting at the center at the table. There's even audio tape that Michael Cohen has had in the Karen McDougal case on the catch and kill. And I just want to add to this because we forget there's so many details. We forget them all. Rudy Giuliani said, said, as far as he knew, that Donald Trump knew and understood generally what was going on in the Stormy Daniels hush money case, said it on Fox News uh, when he undermined Donald Trump, who said, I didn't know anything about the payment. And his own lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, said, yeah, he did. But it's not a problem. It was lawful. I mean, so, okay, there's just reams, reams of these stories that show there's just a pattern and practice here of the way in which Donald Trump operated but how he operated his business. And let's not forget the Trump organization is a convicted felon. Right. Let's talk about these threats. Um, You've seen now threats, uh, you know, Trump Trump put this post up about him holding a bat, uh, seeming to stand and loom over D.A. Alvin Bragg. There it is on his um, fake Twitter. Here's Reverend Al Sharpton interviewing his lawyer, Joe Tacopina, about that. This man and his what family sent, could be under what serious someone threat. someone sent to Alan Bragg has nothing to do with Donald How Trump. How do you know that? Because Donald Trump would have nothing to do with that. Donald Alan. Trump wrote death and destruction no, no, would, if would I'm that, indicted. He announced that he was going to be indicted Tuesday. Mm-hmm. He well, that is, came from leaks. That came from leaks. He, he posed was with a bat. No, he didn't. No, no, no. So let me explain wait, that. Wait, wait, wait. Just a minute. He, there was a picture with a bat mm-hmm. that someone had put together right, that someone. he reposted. Did okay. he not? Well, apparently he reposted, but I also know he took it down when he realized what was in that photo. Oh, he was I reposting see. an article, but he did take so it down. So I stabbed you in the back, but I took the knife out. Before the knife did any damage. 
Mahe, this is a man who used to luxuriate in the idea of brutalizing people who protested at his rallies. You know, Joe Tacopina was be clowning himself a bit, I have to say, with, with the good Reverend Sharpton, pretending that he didn't understand what he was doing when he posted that. No? Yeah. Yes. I mean, and I have to say the Rev statement of, oh, yeah, I stuck you in the back with the knife, but then I pulled it out. Was exactly the right metaphor for what happened here, which is, but it is, it, it's similar to our previous exchange, Joy. This is the way we have a long history of Trump's behavior. It's not like we only have one instance of this. I mean, Donald Trump, to your point, from his rallies to January 6th, and he's doubling down on it. And I, I just want to note this because there's now research on true social his media platform about how they have ratcheted up the reposting of white supremacy, uh, of, 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 you know, organized hate groups. And he's using these tools, whether or not he, I don't care what his personal views are, he's using the tools of violent incitement. Well, we know that from his his history of his action, he's a thug, uh, and he's using thug tactics. Maya Wiley, uh, thank you very much. Up next, an unusually large and long-lived tornado leaves a trail of death and destruction across western Mississippi. We'll talk with longtime Silver City resident and basketball Hall of Famer Spencer Haywood about displaced survivors' long road to recovery. That's next. On Friday, a devastating tornado tore through the Mississippi Delta. Majority black, low-income communities were among the hardest hit. President Biden declared a major disaster for the area, but the journey to recovery will be long. Not much was left in the wake of the 166-mile-an-hour winds that ripped through a 60-mile stretch of the Delta, flattening buildings and killing at least 21 people in Mississippi and injuring dozens more. One person was also killed in Alabama. This is what it was like as the tornado approached. We got a new scan coming in here as we speak. Oh, man. Like north side of Amory, this is coming in. Oh, man. Dear Jesus, please help them. Amen. FEMA Administrator Dean Criswell has already deployed emergency response personnel and resources to the state to assist with recovery efforts. They're still assessing the damage. Many residents are questioning whether state and local officials could have done a better job preparing residents for what was coming. Many of the victims are below the poverty line and don't have insurance to rebuild. The mayor of Rolling Fork, Mississippi, Eldridge Walker, is also the local funeral director. He's not only managing the disaster, he's also personally burying friends. It's one of the hardest situations that I've ever had to deal with as a funeral director, with the situation being as it is, being the mayor and the funeral director. I've lost several friends, several friends that I'm having to face their families. We're at a total loss of everything. Rolling Fork lost 13 people. Silver City, which is northeast of Rolling Fork, also took the brunt of the tornado. And many residents are now looking for temporary shelter as they begin to pick through the debris of their lives and start anew. Joining me now is Spencer Haywood, basketball Hall of Famer and native of Silver City, Mississippi. Mr. Haywood, thank you so much for being here. Um, tell me what is happening, what happened to Silver City and to your friends. Uh, what happened to Silver City? We got hit by the tornado. And uh, uh, so far, I know of uh, 
two children who have died and two adults who have died in Silver City. And the the town is just wiped off uh, off the map. And so the help that's going to require that's going to be required is going to be massive. And uh, I just hope that we as a state do the right thing this time and help the people of Silver City, Rolling Fork. Uh, I also played with Slick Watts, who is from Rolling Fork as well. We played with the Sonics together, Seattle Supersonics. So uh, his his family and people are, are wondering what happened with their town. And, and so is my, my little town that is basically demolished. You know, these rural towns, particularly in the Mississippi Delta, you know, have, have never really been prioritized, have always been abused uh, by the powers that be in the state of Mississippi. And it is hard to be hopeful um, that those federal dollars that are coming to the state um, are really ultimately going to help people in places like Silver City and in North Fork, because that hasn't been the history. The history has been when federal money comes down, it goes to people like Brett Favre to build a volleyball you know, facility for his daughter exactly. or, you know, to hand out to Jackson, East Jackson, not all of Jackson, because the rest of Jackson doesn't even have clean water. Um, do you feel realistically that the government of the state of Mississippi cares enough about these small rural towns to give them any real help? I don't know if the care is there, but I think the eyes of the federal government is going to be on them. And we cannot allow what happened recently with the Brett Favre situation and what happened in, in Jackson and where they took all of the funds and went into East Jackson. Uh, I just think that we have, we have to do better in America than just, uh, parceling, parceling out people. Uh, as black people, this is no good. We, we're just going to, you know, not give them the help. I just think the eyes of the world is looking at us. And I think Mississippi will step up, but I'm not for sure that uh, a guy like Brett Favre wouldn't get his hands on the recovery money. And, and, and because Mississippi have, have this history of doing wrong to Silver City and to Rolling Fork, to Belzoni, all of those surrounding communities there. So, and sometimes they don't even want them to vote. So, uh, I mean, you know, yeah. there's a lot of hope in my heart, but, you know, time will tell. Well, what can those of us who are you know, outside Mississippi and looking at this devastation, what, what do you all need? What can we do to help? Well, we're going to need everything. We don't have electricity. We don't have anything uh, at this time. Uh my nephew is is getting together with a lot of uh, politicians and people there in the area. Henry Reed Jr. is going to be giving me an update on what's going on because I'm here in Las Vegas. So, uh, and I know the NBA has reached out to me and the NBA Players Association, which I was the former chairman of the board for the NBA retired players. We are going mm -hmm. to be doing as much as we can and trying to organize and get some help in there because, you know, we can't yeah. go in now because uh, the wires are down. You don't know where you're stepping. So it's a, it's a dangerous situation for the people who live there and the people who have been displaced. And uh, we have to do better. And I think we'll, yeah. we'll step up. 
Well, uh, Spencer Haywood, you are a great man. A 68 gold medalist, uh, champion, uh, NBA all-star. Um, and and I, have, I have to be honest with you, my brother, I have more faith in the NBA and the NBA PA to help Mississippi than I do in that government. I, I hate to say it, but so I know that you all are going to step up uh, and your friends in the league will come forward. So y'all come through for Mississippi because they need you. Thank you, Spencer Haywood. It's an yes. honor to talk to you. It's an honor Thank to be you. on your show. I love you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be right back. Human rights activist Randall Robinson has died at the age of 81. He dedicated his entire life to fighting for Africans around the world. Through his organization, TransAfrica, he campaigned for the end of apartheid in South Africa, staging a sit-in at the South African embassy, demanding the release of Nelson Mandela and other black political prisoners. He was also a strong advocate for Haitians, holding a hunger strike in 1994, protesting President Clinton's policies, including the return of Haitian refugees to a country where they could be killed. I think the president is a great deal more concerned about the electoral votes of Florida than he is concerned about my life or the lives of hundreds of Haitians, men, women, children, families, people he is consigning to death with his policies. Robinson fought for black Americans as well, calling for reparations and raising awareness of the systemic inequalities black Americans face due to centuries of slavery and racism. He was a great and good man. Our thoughts are with his family. And that is tonight's readout. Be sure to join me tomorrow night when former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi will be here. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.